space-time, the ever-expanding frontier. These are the records of the most needlessly complicated rewatch of the Star Trek franchise ever. Its mission, to locate every second and contemplate every eon, from outside time to the Big Bang, all the way to the end of all existence. To do what no sane entity has ever done before. This is the Temporal Trek Podcast. Hello and welcome back to Temporal Trek, the show that's all about watching Star Trek in chronological order. We've been away for quite some time, uh, quite a few months in fact. Uh, we repaired all the damage to the subspace array and we've managed to uh, get everything back on track. Been away for a couple of months but we are back now. We're in season two. Uh, we are in the 21st century. We're actually on our second episode of the 21st century, and we are going back to Enterprise, Star Trek Enterprise with Carpenter Street from Season 3. We begin at zero minutes and zero seconds. We open on sort of a street scene. Uh, we're seeing sort of normal day cars, you know, something that we've seen a couple of times so far, uh, especially with our previous episode when we were uh, in 1159 on Voyager and we saw uh, Shannon O'Donnell driving around in her car. So we're kind of getting used to this site, at least when we're going through Star Trek. doesn't look a million miles away from when we were talking about the Millennium Gate in Indiana, but we are somewhere else in the United States. We're following... A particular character. He makes his way back to the apartment. It's a little bit messy, a little bit disgusting, but nothing seems out of the ordinary. Uh, there's nothing that sort of shows us that there's something wrong with this character at first, until there's a phone call, and we know something's wrong because of the ominous music. On the other end, we hear sort of a deep, sort of growly voice, and there's a cut to the other end of the phone call and we see this sort of weird purpley shiny outfit something we haven't seen on uh, any of our star trek watches so far um, it's a very weird uniform and it's a zindi reptilian on the other end of the line with a very very deep voice the uniforms for the reptilians were always a bit weird for me uh, it, just uh, all of season three, it was a mishmash of different looks and styles. I can see what they were kind of going for. I think they were trying to show you that there was a TOS pre-era thing going on in the design. Uh, but ultimately, the uniforms for the Zindis kind of looked like, I don't know, a Prince video, a music video on Acid just really extreme and just seeing this Zindi sort of walking around on scaffolding or like a platform it kind of looked like he was going to break into song at any minute um, he's talking to the human they're talking about some deal that they need to delivery um, but you know something's wrong because of the ominous music and we end at one minute and 55 seconds there's the credit sequence, and we come back into the episode at 3 minutes and 12 seconds. We're at the same human. Uh, this time he's driving around, and he pulls over to the side and collects a prostitute. Uh, she, however, recognises him, and there's sort of this off moment that you kind of wonder whether he's going to do something drastic, or he's going to react in some other way than what you'd expect to be going on at this point in the scene. Um, and she mentions that he was at the clinic and that he was actually nice to her. So 
although we've been given the impression that something's wrong, that he's working with the Zindi reptilians, which up till now in Star Trek would probably be a villainous character. And certainly the way that Zindi reptilian, had we not seen any of Star Trek, again, only going from these scenes, we are sort of given the impression that they are evil. Or at least the bad guys for this episode we would try and start to think that something was wrong with this character. But she mentions a story about how he was nice, how he, he brought her a drink while she was in the clinic, and he remembers her and then mentions O-negative blood. He remembers her medical file, as it were. So we already get this sense that there is a medical reason that he's after this prostitute not for the obvious reasons that a character might be after a prostitute um in any kind of tv show but speaking of tv shows you've got talk of drugs now in previous scenes whenever we've gone through star trek so far things have been more a morality play you've got sort of a very uh, philosophical uh, agenda or problem or a science fiction uh, problem as well. Perhaps it's some timey-wimey stuff that needs to be corrected, like a Kirk mission in TOS. But this one, you're instantly in with drugs. You've got a sense that there's a grimier story going on. And it's one of the things that I do appreciate about Enterprise. They did try and give a slightly darker tone to some of their episodes, certainly the season three onwards. Uh, and it, it does feel different to other Star Trek that we've seen so far, even if we were just taking the time travel episodes, as this podcast is attempting to do. He manages to make the prostitute pass out by placing a cloth over her mouth, and then she passes out. And he said, they won't hurt you. So, again, we're given this impression that this character isn't all bad. He's not trying to necessarily hurt the person that he is subduing and taking off to some abandoned factory. Uh, we see him pull up in the car outside this factory. He gives a name, Loomis, and he's delivering these bodies into a very dirty warehouse. Now, up to this point, I have been calling uh, guests on this show into 2020, which was the pandemic COVID uh, crisis. So the idea of seeing some medical beds and seeing dirtiness and uncleanliness and unhygienic areas, it, it just... It, it just gives a whole new look to this episode that wasn't necessarily there in the original intention. Uh, just the added anxiety of watching characters in a dirty environment. Uh, it's just an interesting way of looking at this episode now, as opposed to perhaps seeing it just two years ago. The character collects a bunch of money, and there is a dark character in the shadows sort of looking on as we finish at 7 minutes and 37 seconds. We come back into the episode at 12 minutes and 5 seconds as T'Pol and Archer uh, step through a sort of deck plate door on the ship. We can kind of see Trip in a fuzzy focus uh, in the background and they whoosh. It's all we get for time travel is a whoosh noise. I don't know whether it was budget cuts. I don't know whether they were going for a mysterious new way of time traveling. Uh, but this is certainly the first time we've had a whoosh noise for time travel here. Uh, forget your slingshots. Forget going through portals that talk to you. It's all about the whoosh noise today. Um, 
they just get nice and easy time travel. But speaking of nice and easy time travel, they're standing in what is clearly Earth, what is United States Earth. There are cars passing by, things that uh, T'Pol would never have seen, even when she was on Earth for a significant period of time. And she's looking around. She admits that we would have travelled 90 light years, and Archer just rubs it in a bit more with 150 years in the past. And she still isn't convinced. Uh, It is a running theme. As we've mentioned before in previous Enterprise episodes, we've seen that T'Pol just does not give in about time travel not being real till very, very late in the run of Enterprise. And she's still not convinced now, even with all of this evidence around her, even with such a drastic change in environment from a spaceship millions of miles away to a street corner in the United States. T'Pol and Archer go straight on to trying to find a vehicle, something they can use to get around the city to track down a person. Uh, At this point, they don't sort of name check him, so they don't know really what they're after. They are trying to track down someone. Uh, They've clearly been sent on a mission, but according to just watching these scenes, as we always do, we don't actually know who that is at the moment. They're scanning various cars and they're using their tricorder to detect whether they have security systems and so forth, which seems like a really reasonable course of action. And even though we didn't see it, it does put me in mind of a previous episode we saw in our last season uh, in 1996 when uh, Tuvok and Paris were also stealing a car. Funnily enough, also a blue Dodge Ram truck. Uh, So maybe there's like a preference with this particular color and type of car. Who knows? Maybe Star Trek just likes to pick the same car over and over again for all your time travel needs. There's several slip-ups when they're trying to actually steal the cars, which is quite funny. Um, If the fact they've scanned the cars, they know that there's a security system, but for some reason Archer didn't notice there was also a dog in another of the cars. Um, It's sort of touch and go on how this tricorder actually works now maybe he put it onto a a setting that can only detect security systems and for some reason misses out life forms i don't know but boosting cars seems to be really easy for starfleet officers i don't know whether that's a course that they teach but they're certainly not in the 24th century once they find the blue dodge that they will eventually take off in uh there's sort of a minute given to the fact that actually nobody knows how to drive this thing. T'Pol even points out, you know, do you even know how to ride this vehicle? And Archer just gives a very glib, I know how to fly a starship, which does seem like a completely different set of skills. I mean, 150 years ago, uh, you know, I'm not a driver, but I'm pretty sure I still wouldn't be able to drive a Model T Ford from 150 years ago compared to a car today. But they do eventually get onto the road and T'Pol takes out her tricorder and says that she is going to sort of look on this map that they're using and they're going to use a search grid. And Archer says, you know, how old is the map? It's a fairly reasonable question. Um, And uh, she says that it's from 2002. Now, whether that was pulled from Starfleet records, perhaps historical records of where they are, or perhaps it's an old Vulcan map, as we know that the Vulcans have been visiting Earth periodically, so maybe there was a meeting back in 2002. Perhaps they came back to meet with uh, Mistral, who was missing since the 1950s. But 
because we mentioned 2002 and then Archer goes on to say, well, it's a two year old map. We have had our reference to 2004. Now, the area that we are in is specifically Detroit. And whilst I was trying to track down our historical uh, research, there wasn't a lot going on in Detroit in 2004 that I could really latch on to, at least nothing that I could uh, provide any kind of detail on. So we're going to stop here for our history, but I will mention that specifically to Detroit in 2004, the Detroit Pistons win the NBA championship for the third time in November of this year. But generally speaking, looking at 2004, we're going to do our history bit now. Looking at the temperature in this scene, it's quite comfortable, you know, no one's really shivering, no one's cold, so I'm going to restrict uh, the history section to sort of May to the end of September, which kind of fits with the warmer periods of Detroit's weather. Um, it just seemed most likely that this is happening during the summer, but we're never actually given a specific date. So, by May, 10 new countries joined the EU in June. Spaceship One becomes the first private space plane to achieve a space flight by the 21st of June. On the 30th of June, Saddam Hussein stands trial for war crimes. In July, Cassini Huygens arrives at Saturn. And by August of this year, NASA launches the Messenger spacecraft to study Mercury. There's the Summer Olympics that were held in Greece at this time as well. And Michael Schumacher won his seventh and last world championship. Now at this time we are seeing the world post 9-11. We're also seeing a world that is post the 90s satellite states breaking away from Russia. So there is a huge amount of uh, terrorism dealt by the Chechen rebels who want uh, independence from Russia and complete removal from that state. We actually see a Chechen suicide bomber blow up a Russian passenger plane in August of this year. And by September, Chechens again take hostages, uh, mostly to Russian children, and kill over 330 people in an armed raid. So we are seeing a world that it seems to be getting used to seeing more terrorism across the globe. Uh, not, not on American soil, not necessarily on British soil, but everywhere is seeing sort of the grip of terrorism so it's definitely in the air but on lighter notes uh, there are several computer game releases um, from our previous episode computer games seem to be sort of uh, archaic pc uh, titles um, but in this year we see not only doom 3 is released we get sims 2 we get call of duty united offensive and uh, a little uh, linked to my own personal history with Halo 2 being released in November of this year as well as GTA San Andreas. Now I say personal history, um, my predecessor, uh, the Dan Hitch from your time, uh, was working in a game shop, um, a computer game shop, was working in a computer game shop at the time and uh, was doing some uh, late night release nights uh, where we would have to stay up till midnight or gone midnight in some cases selling the latest titles as they were released that day um, they were really fun events uh, especially the halo 2 because there was a lot of uh, 
fever and frenzy about that game. Um, there was a lot of queuing and <laughs> lots of people that you had to sort of look after at the time as well. Um, but it brings back some very happy memories for me. And that's really it for our history. So we're going to get back to the episode. Archer says that uh, he can see a little indicator light on the car's dashboard uh, indicating they need fuel, but that's not really their biggest concern. They need money in order to obtain fuel. Now, I felt this was kind of like a callback to Voyage Home in that the, the crew, as it were, the two members of the team, have to get money in order to survive. But they come up with a solution that I'm surprised... Spock didn't come up with, as they use the tricorder to hack into an ATM machine and then get the money out. Um, they seem more than capable of taking it, it doesn't trigger any alarms, there seems to be no problems whatsoever. Now, maybe it could be argued that because Kirk was using you know, a Klingon bird of prey, they didn't have the same equipment, maybe there was something wrong there, but there's almost a hundred years of technology. You'd think that maybe Spock would have been able to have figured out something, um, even with his sort of new mind, as it were, since he'd only just been put back into his body, um, that he could have figured out a way of getting them maybe some more money this way, rather than pawning a set of glasses uh, with Captain Kirk. But I digress. Topol does say that they will return the money that they don't use. And Archer kind of gives like this surprised look that, you know, she seems to be getting into it. Is she finally accepting that time travel is a possibility? We go over to Loomis and he's now got another victim. Uh, he's turned up at their door, 11 o'clock at night. Uh, so nothing weird about that whatsoever. Um, but we see that people are motivated by greed uh, in this time, in this era. Something that, again, we haven't quite seen a lot of in that time travel area. Um, certainly with Future's End, we saw people who were motivated by perhaps a love of science. Um, we saw greed in um, Chrono Works and, um, and the attempt to use... You know, significantly advanced technology to further your own agenda but it seems like in Carpenter Street everybody seems to be motivated this way there's a new level of greed that just puts you one above uh, up till now you know Star Trek has come across quite decent very nice characters in the past in time travel episodes but in this world in Detroit in 2004 everybody seems just that little bit more motivated by money than we've ever seen before. There is a bit of a Star Trek-y kind of lesson, speaking of that, uh, about fossil fuels. And there's a conversation going on in the car where they go on to mention that uh, they didn't realise that fossil fuels were running out. You know, the Earth's government really not know what they were doing. And uh, Archer's just about to fill us in on a bit of future history in 2061 that they... And then the sentence ends. We'd never actually find out what he's talking about. Now, my guess is that he's talking about how cars will eventually be covered in solar panels along with every other type of transport as well. Something that is actually referred to in Star Trek Discovery. But we'll never know whether that was actually the lesson we were going to get. They find the factory where Loomis is going to take his next victim. And Archer gives a, an instruction to DePaul which at first seems quite jarring again comparing it to the other episodes we've had so far not taking into star trek as a whole we have archer giving the order to set the phases to kill because previous times that the reptilians have turned up stun hasn't had any effect on them now uh, 
that does kind of mean that you know kill isn't as effective so it's not really going to kill them but the idea of a captain giving the order to kill someone actively kill them it, it it's still a very different feel to previous star trek episodes that you ever see just going on the ones we've seen in this podcast loomis turns up with the latest victim and the deal is about to change um the alien in question, uh, the Resindia Reptilian, is having a bit of a, dare I say, or cross the streams, a Darth Vader moment. Uh, he's changing the deal further. Um, they want to step up their program of whatever this is for, whatever they're doing to these victims, whatever they're taking, all of whom are still alive. They're still lying in the bed. So the previous prostitute we saw earlier, she seems to... Sh- still be there she hasn't been taken away and we don't see her ever again but this time the aliens want to push up their agenda they want to make things go a bit quicker they say they're going to pay him double and it's only at this point that his pushback the aliens say that they want their last three patients ahead of schedule He's starting to get a bit tetchy. He realises he's probably going to get caught, that uh, there's already news broadcasts going on, that someone's noticing these people disappearing and that eventually it's going to come back to him. And yet again, we see a motivation of greed. Um, The alien in question, who is standing in the shadows, offers him double payment. Uh, We're going to give you more money. You're going to do it. And... Even though Loomis had a slight glimmer of saying, you're a terrorist, and you know something's going wrong here, because he's offered with money, he, he just throws away any morality whatsoever. And he is truly a horrible character. Now, stepping out of the episode a little bit, I do know a little bit of trivia about this episode about Jeffrey D. Morgan. Um, some people probably know him better as Negan from Walking Dead. He is the alien. He is the Zindi reptilian having his Darth Vader moment. And uh, I know that he did have a huge problem with the prosthetics that were being put on. Um, he's slightly sort of claustrophobic, so he didn't like the process of going through all makeup and everything. So I'm not entirely sure why the character always is in shadow. But I would think that production reason wise uh, that uh, Jeffrey D. Morgan probably just didn't want to wear the makeup too often. So he insisted on being in the shadows and standing there all the time. Archer and T'Pol finally track down Loomis and they follow him home. Uh, he is uh, just about to sort of settle down for the, for the evening as he's going through different uh, patient records, trying to find out who the last three victims are going to be. Archer turns up at his door but T'Pol is nowhere to be seen. Um, Loomis is obviously skittish. He jumps out the window, starts climbing down the side of the building, uh, only for T'Pol to reach up to him, nerve pinch him, he's out, and they take him back. We get a bit of an interrogation scene, and Loomis is already tied up. When he wakes up from his nerve pinch, um, Archer is being exceptionally aggressive. And again, it comes down to this idea that he is a very much a different Starfleet captain. Now, I know that that is part of his arc for season three, that there is controversial um, aspects to his character, uh, that people don't tend to like the direction where Archer went in season three. But given that whatever these aliens are doing with these people and that there's time travel involved and the implications that might have, you can see a desperation in Archer that is believable and it's understandable. And it's it at least explains why 
he is willing to go into these interrogation tactics. Um, he does do something fairly de gentlemanly, I guess, if you can uh, say that it's gentlemanly to interrogate someone. Um, but he agrees to untie Loomis uh, when Loomis thinks that he's uh, managed to get past him and threaten him by wanting a lawyer, only to punch him in the face, put him back in the chair and tie him back up again. Uh, it's you know it shows some sort of level of decency, perhaps a, a you know a line that even Archer at this point won't cross. Um, the only thing that I sort of found about this scene was that it was very disconcerting in the camera work. There's a lot of shaky cam going on, and it definitely places it as an early 2000s TV show. Um, I know that shaky cam was getting very popular at the time. You had sort of the 24 uh way of, of filming a show uh you know keith Sutherland, you know torturing people waterboarding them things like that so they probably went to go for that this gritty aspect but because it's star trek because you don't really see that as often in star trek it is very disconcerting it sort of throws you out the episode it is so so jumpy it's so different to what we've seen before um that it, it doesn't feel like you're watching a star trek episode so Paul and Archer start to ask him, you know, why are you working with these people? You're abducting people for money and you're not even asking why. Um, Loomis tries to offer that, you know, it, he acted or talked over the phone and he said he was a doctor. He didn't have the correct licensing and he's working on a vaccine, even though there's no mention of what the vaccine is for. Um, and uh, he mentions that he's you know willing to be paid five thousand dollars for every person that he brings in for this research and topol has a fantastically star trek line so even though it doesn't look or feel like a star trek episode the line that she gives about you know is this what human life is worth it it, it feels nice and star trekky certainly of the two characters in this time travel adventure it is topol who definitely feels the most Star Trekky uh, in her approach to everything that they do in this adventure. She also has another line where she says that we have found the worst of uh, humanity in this era and time. Um, it just so many put downs that are so expertly delivered. And I don't think Jolene Blaylock gets enough credit for how she portrays to Paul throughout all of enterprise but certainly in episodes like this where you know you could easily see her as just being put down as the sidekick for this adventure and she really elevates everything she does in all of the scenes but this hatches our plan archer is going to pretend to be the next victim he is a b negative blood type so he is going to offer to put himself out there into the um, factory and try and figure out what these indie reptilians are all about but not before we get a very weird scene uh, in a drive-through at a burger land now, i'm not entirely sure what burger land is um i don't know if that's an actual place in detroit is this just a detroit only place uh, but i don't seem to remember ever seeing a burger land before uh, i do wonder whether perhaps the production team for star trek enterprise just couldn't get the rights to mcdonald's or burger king who knows um there are some really nice moments again to Paul mentioning that she wants a salad, but they offer to put three strips of bacon on there for 75 cents. You know, she's a vegetarian um, and it's funny to watch. It's good character building. Um, you know, Archer sort of plays along with it. Uh, there is a moment where as Loomis is uh, eating his burger, he drops a piece of meat into her lap and she kind of flings it out of the window. 
just every little you know nuance the tick of her head uh, you know as she flings this piece of meat out the window uh, it's just it's just such good comedy work um uh, and again puts you in mind of spock from the voyage home uh you get to see a vulcan character stand so vastly in contrast to the era that they're in in this time travel adventure there is something that sort of bothers me about the plan that they're going to go along with uh, a lot of trust is put in loomis considering how despicable a human being he is and how much he's getting paid to deliver these people um that they weren't expecting loomis to double cross them straight off it, it does place a lot of trust in what loomis is doing and you know loomis has guessed that these are federal officers perhaps you know undercover undercover cops uh, and he's sort of put his trust in them but given what we already know about loomis i don't see how this plan was ever going to fully work but loomis does deliver archer he walks away he doesn't say anything doesn't mention anything we get a scene where loomis gets back into his car T'Pol is hidden under the dashboard, but she is pointing a phaser at him. Uh, he even calls it a ray gun, which is always uh, a nice little callback. Again, whenever we've seen our 20th century episodes and we have Martians, whenever we see an alien, uh, it was a nice callback to call the phaser a ray gun. Um, T'Pol shoots the side door of the car. Uh, it doesn't seem to burn a hole in the side of the car so maybe she decreased it from the kill setting but who knows um, but it was a nice little callback and again another thread another time travel cliche i suppose you could say uh, to see again loomis is still concerned about his money that he's putting his trust into pole and archer and that he's never going to see his money that's all he's concerned about this greed aspect in this episode is so strong but it's never really delved into um it's just put straight out there's no commentary on it whatsoever other than the interrogation scene we get one scene where archer is pretending to be unconscious as a reptilian places a needle into his neck to take a sample and retrieve some of his blood it's it's unsettling to watch Again, we're in a uh, TV show that has shown us hypersprays up till now uh, with no needles. Um, but here we are seeing you know, a person, a character, a captain being injected with a needle. And it's very disturbing to see still. Back with Loomis and T'Pol in the car, um, Loomis is sort of saying, you know, you better hold up your end of the bargain. So he thinks he's going to get some sort of plea deal, um, some sort of amnesty. Um, and uh, to Paul's retort, just saying, you know, you've been abducting people with money and you're questioning our honesty. Now, of course, they've been lying to him, but he doesn't know that. And yet he's not exactly on a very high horse right now. He starts to smoke uh, again. Bit of a callback to our Little Green Men episode from the 1940s. Um, seeing a character smoke is still very weird on TV now. Uh, but with with Loomis, you know, it's a horrible horrible person so you kind of see him smoking it, it just fits the character archer now tracks down the reptilians by sort of crawling through these vent ducts in the factory uh, it's all very sort of die hard bit bruce willis for him um, he aims his phaser uh, towards them he sees that they've got some weird tech device that they brought with them but the the tech that they've got with them kind of fits the 2004 era you could see it being you know a, a device to make a vaccine or, or to generate some sort of bio sample so whatever the reptilians are doing 
you could kind of write it off as, you know, oh, maybe it was a doctor who was making a vaccine. So had Loomis seen it, you could see a way around it. We now find out, as Archer is talking over the comm, that they were sent here to stop a bioweapon and that Daniels had travelled from the future to warn them. So they are breeding some sort of bioweapon. Paul mentions that if you take out whichever of the Vizindi reptilians have a temporal beacon, they won't be able to return to their time. But also, why did they time travel in the first place to create a bioweapon that would kill humans, when humans are still readily available in their own time? There's some illusion that the Zindi reptilians are hiding from someone else, that there's perhaps another faction involved in all of this, uh, and we are coming back to this idea of the Temporal Cold War. Again, this episode is happening before the Space Nazis episode that we had in the 1940s, uh, back in uh, the 20th century, so perhaps it's linked to that. Uh, but as far as this episode is concerned, we don't know. Whilst Paul is outside the car discussing this with Archer over the comms, we see Loomis reach into the side of the car and pulls a knife from so the, the, the join in the seat of the car, a flick knife. Um, but he doesn't actually try to hurt Paul straight away. He lets her back into the car, they drive around the corner, and Archer says, right, I've stunned one of the Retimlians, I've taken out the one with the Temporal Beacon, but there's still two, and they've taken a canister of bioweapon with them. It's a large, green, glowing uh, canister, and kind of reminded me of the canister of ooze from uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 movie. Uh, you know, very specific reference there, but uh, it did remind me of that, at least. T'Pol leans out the window with the phase pistol right in front of Loomis's face and just off camera you just see Loomis sort of flinch his head back uh, and he sees the ray gun, he knows what it is now uh, and he, he just moves back. He sees these shadowy figures coming out, he hasn't seen their reptilians right now and uh, just as they come out he betrays T'Pol and Archer. Who would have thought the bad guy has betrayed our two heroes? He hits the horn in the car, he sees the reptilians and instantly regrets that decision. T'Pol shoots him just as he's going for uh, with the knife that he took out from the car, and he's out of the picture. He's knocked out and unconscious. Archer and T'Pol make their way down the street. There's now just one reptilian, the main reptilian, the Jeffrey D. Morgan reptilian, or should we call him Vader for now, I guess? He's made his way to the roof and he's going to place this bioweapon in an air duct, in an aircon system, so potentially release this bioweapon virus into the planet. Now, it's hard to watch this scene, again, not thinking of the pandemic from 2020, when you've got a virus that, at the moment, is incomplete. So they didn't get their final victims, they didn't get the blood types that would match all types of humans, and they're clearly trying to wipe out all of humanity. But the fact that they've been able to acquire so many different blood types means they've still got a very effective weapon uh, on their hands. And Paul mentions that, that they've got at least enough to incapacitate three quarters of humanity and at least prevent them from attacking the Zindi in the future. Now, when you think of the damage that the pandemic did and how it affected just a small percentage of the world's population, um, thankfully, due to all of the precautions that were put in place, whatever you might think about them, if something like the pandemic we've already seen were to be engineered to to spread that quickly and affect three quarters 
of the population, a vastly huge number compared to what the pandemic did, and see how just devastating that was. It's it's quite it's a lot more frightening to watch this episode this time round with that in mind. There's a bit of a phase of firefight. Archer goes round the back. Uh, he uh, jumps from one rooftop uh, to the other. There's a bit of a pulling himself up to finally get himself onto the roof. They track down the Zindi. He's just about to put the canister in. He's just about to throw it into the aircon device as Archer shoots him, leans over and grabs the canister and the day is saved. And all they say is let's go. Nice and easy. Jobs are good. Uh, we end there at 40 minutes 16 seconds as Archer and T'Pol presumably leave the timeline with a nice whoosh sound i'm guessing we come back to the episode though at 41 minutes exactly and we see loomis passed out unconscious in his car and he awakes to find there's three or four uh, police vehicles uh, all around him the police get out they are armed they're placing guns in his face and he gets out the gun and said, uh, there's the lizard people and ray guns. And I made a deal with those two cops you sent round earlier. And it's a nice way of writing out any particular sort of temporal anomalies going on. That he was just written off as a madman. And that perhaps this was always supposed to happen. It's always meant to happen. But uh, that ends the scene at... 41 minutes and 53 seconds with a nice bit of justice for a terrible, terrible villainous character. So there we go. We've had our location in our LCARS rating system. Next is continuity. Now, there is time travel in this episode, in this section of the episode, but given that T'Pol and Archer were sent back to prevent a catastrophe from happening, and they did. They succeeded. They didn't get the bioweapon released. Uh, the Zindi failed in their mission. Uh, as far as we know, there are no further repercussions. And with that little last scene with Loomis, he could just be written off as just going crazy. Uh, he you know, saw lizard people with ray guns. Uh, it's quite easy to underwrite any potential damage to the timeline. So continuity-wise, I'm saying that there isn't actually any problem here. Despite the fact that uh, T'Pol and Archer took some money, they took the truck, which obviously has placed people in different uh, areas, you have all the victims who have been found alive and well, as the police say in that final scene with Loomis, so there isn't as much of a knock-on effect. You could place the police as saying that he stole the Dodge truck, that he stole the money. Uh, so there really isn't anything to pay off there. You know, people will get their money back. The insurances will pay for any damage to potentially the truck and so on. So I see that there is no real potential contamination of the timeline here. Alterations. Now, uh, as I mentioned throughout the episode, it, it half feels like a Star Trek episode and half doesn't. Now I know that this episode plays a much larger role in the wider Zindi arc but again just taking this episode is there anything that I would like to see altered or perhaps expanded on and overall this episode just doesn't quite engage me the same way that other episodes in time travel does compared to the other time travel episodes that we saw in the 20th century, which I still remember today with a big fond memory, this episode 
I just didn't remember. When I was going through the, epi- the episodes and doing my research for this podcast, I, it just didn't come up. It wasn't in the bank. It wasn't in the memory banks. I don't really have an attachment to this episode, probably because it feels so different to what we've seen before. Archer is much darker. He takes a path that is a lot more violent than I'm used to seeing in a, in a Starfleet captain. Uh, admittedly, this is pre-Federation, so you could write off those actions. There is this ongoing arc that he is clearly aware of, and that that could influence his choices and perhaps add a little bit more pressure to the moments. The shaky cam work and the camera work, it just throws you out of what you would normally enjoy in a Star Trek episode. Like I say, Paul for me, really elevates this section with the lines of dialogue about the, the value of human life, uh, the worst of humanity being shown in Loomis, um, the, the comedy moments with the meat falling in her lap. Those moments, I think, are what save this episode. So I think I probably would have wanted to see more of T'Pol in the episode. But overall, it works as a section. You get what happened. There's an A, a B, and a C. There's you know quite a clear path in how this episode progresses. But overall, it just doesn't feel like it needs to be there. So my alteration would probably be either ramp up the tension, establish more uh, of the threat from the, the Zindi. If these were Zindis we'd been f- specifically following for every episode, then it probably would have had a bit more weight to it. Had this episode been one particular piece of a much larger puzzle, it probably would have had a bit more to it. Had this particular Zindi popped up again and again and again and again throughout the season, I think it would have been a lot better. But there just isn't enough build-up to this episode for me. Uh, There's nothing I want to add to it, and ultimately... There's nothing I want to add to it because it just doesn't engage at all. And that leads me on to recommendations. Would I recommend this episode to Star Trek fans? Completionists? Yes. But to Star Trek fans who really want to enjoy Star Trek, who really want to get into it, you could easily skip these scenes, this entire episode, in fact, and just move on with the Zindi arc far quicker. You get to the same results by the end. So to Star Trek fans, I'm not going to recommend this particular scene and episode to non-Star Trek fans. It's quite intriguing. It's a good episode, I think, for non-Star Trek fans in that it does give you your classic lines into Paul. It does give you Archer, who is a very relatable captain. You kind of know where he's coming from. You see that there's an urgency in him, that there's something in him that other people might not see in Picard, in Janeway, in Cisco. Uh, Well, maybe Cisco. He does punch people a lot. Uh, But to a non-Star Trek fan, I think this episode would be a good way into it. You kind of get some of the relations. You see a character in Loomis who is recognisable from other TV shows. So to non-Star Trek fans, I would actually recommend this as a, a taster but not necessarily a good example of what a Star Trek episode is. To my godlike entities, how important is this episode to the overall scheme of things? Um, I can't really say it's worthy. Uh, the, the reptilians hatch a plan, fail at the plan, 
Archer and Paul go home. That's all that happens in this episode. There is literally nothing else in this episode that redeems it to a higher status. There are better episodes in the Zindi arc. There are better Star Trek time travel episodes. There are just better episodes overall. So for me, Carpenter Street doesn't need to exist in the overall canon, in the overall timeline. So that leads me on to our final ratings criteria, and that is the setup. Join me next time for Season 2, Episode 3, and we are jumping to past tense in the year 2024. Join me at 2 minutes 49 seconds for the first part of a two-part episode. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you in the next timeline. If you'd like to contact the show, there's now a Twitter account. Search Temporal Trek Podcast at rider underscore coattail. Or contact me directly at hitch underscore Daniel. I'm also on Instagram, Daniel underscore hitch underscore writer. There's also a website with all of the timestamps you need to follow along. Go to ridingcoattails.simplesite.com and click the Temporal Trek page link. The show is always going to be free. There's no Patreon at all. But if you wish to financially contribute to the show, Feel free to find my books by searching me, Daniel Hitch, on Amazon. And we'll catch you in the next time stream.